Hey everyone, welcome to Emmanuel Fellowship's podcast. This is Pastor Trent, the founding pastor of Emmanuel Fellowship, a church in South Minneapolis that exists to serve our city and to live for God's glory. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. We pray that this message encourages you to follow Jesus and to see his presence and power everywhere in your life. You know, the tally keeps rising for the number of people in my FOMO along with it keeps growing for how I need to watch the show The Chosen. All right, I mean, I can't, some, some of you have been telling me about this. I've seen people in the church and outside of the church telling me, I need to watch The Chosen. I need to stop watching everything else, but this is, this is about Jesus. Come on, pastor, you know? And um, I, I did a little looking into it, and it, it looks like it's really good. I, I will take it in. And this is what the website says. I'm just, this is my research. It says that the chosen allows us to see him through the eyes of those who knew him. No matter where you are at your journey with Jesus Christ, this TV show is for you. I love that. I mean, I would love to be able to see him through the eyes of those who knew him. And that question of who is the real Jesus, what is Jesus really like, is something that has gripped people for millennia, century after century, wondering about this man who turned the known world upside down and who we still remember. And if you want to look one other place besides, you know, crowdsourced television, right, you can actually look in the Gospel of Mark, right? Because Mark, as it was, is a book about Jesus. And if you want to know the real Jesus through the eyes of those who knew him, this is it right here. I, I believe you, the, the show is good. But this is also really good too, okay? If you want to know who Mark is, our earliest source about Mark and who wrote this book comes from Papias. He was the bishop of Hierapolis all the way until about 130 AD, and his lifespan came into contact with the first disciples, a friend of the apostle John, and maybe perhaps even knew Peter himself. But what we know from Mark and from Papias is that Mark was the secretary and the translator of none other than Simon Peter. If you want to see Jesus through the eyes of those who knew him best, Peter, this famous disciple, and if you don't know Peter, you're going to get to know him in this book, you can see what Christ is like. One of the sort of commentaries and research books that I'm taking in as I study this is um, written by a guy named Dr. Timothy Keller, and here's what he says. He says, the whole story of the world and of how we fit into it, is most clearly understood through a careful and direct look at the story of Jesus. I trust you'll find the figure of Jesus worthy of your attention, unpredictable yet reliable, gentle yet powerful, authoritative yet humble, human yet divine. I urge you to seriously consider the significance of his life for your own. That's why we're studying the Gospel of Mark, to consider the significance of his life for our own and how we might better follow him like these early disciples did. The truth about the Gospel of Mark is that it is two parts, revealing an incredible picture of the identity of Jesus, who he is as the king, the Lord of all, and then who he is as the suffering servant 
who went to the cross. Both aspects of which make up the, the, the story and the good news of Jesus. And as I look at this first 13 verses, I got I, so many points I could say, but I can only have time for two today, okay? So here's my two. Here's the two points for the rest of our time. I want to show you the call to prepare for God that's in this passage. And then I want to show you the coming of the person of God in this passage, okay? The call to prepare, and then the coming of the person of God, okay? You ready to go? All right, let's go. Here we go. In the beginning of the gospel, okay, that's, that gospel is a word that means good news, an announcement, a tidings of joy, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, we would read right past that, but if you were reading this as an original reader in the first century, that would be alarming to you. Because what Mark has done there is he sandwiched together two things that nobody before had thought would go together, which is that the Christ, the Messiah, the long-waited-for ruler of God's people, Israel, would also be none other than God himself. The Son of God, of course, being a name for God in the flesh. Here is the announcement of Mark at the jump in the first line I'm going to tell you about one who was the promised ruler and also the very God himself in the flesh. Boom. Then he goes on. As is written in Isaiah, the prophet wastes no time. Behold, I'm sending a messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make his paths straight. Okay. Why did they need to prepare? Think about this. If you don't know some of the context of Jerusalem and Israel in the first century, they weren't ready. All right? Like, they weren't ready. Like, it, the people of God in that time were so polarized and split into different sects, each fighting and proposing their own ideology of why God had been so distant to them and what would bring God back onto the scene. And so here you have, in that time, that they had not heard the word of the Lord for four centuries. 400 years had passed. And they'd begun to wonder, is Yahweh asleep? Is he still at work and alive? And perhaps their own wondering about the distance of God and how they could conjure up the presence of God is similar to our own time as well, with all of our advancements and all of our new ways of thinking, all of our philosophies and ideologies. Do we assume the distance of God like he hasn't spoken for centuries? Because they did. And here's the call for us to prepare. Mark jumps out of the gate citing Isaiah, who was writing 800 years before this time, saying this word from Isaiah is now coming true. And prepare because God is going to move. So John comes on the scene preaching, sounding like the prophets of old, telling God's people that they've gone and wandered away, that they have followed other paths, come up with other ideas, lost their allegiance to Yahweh. And he says, repent. Turn away from the path that you've been walking down. Listen to scholar N.T. Wright. He says, 
They, the Israel of the day, were looking in the wrong direction. They were going in the wrong direction. And it was time to turn around and to go the right way. That's exactly what repentance means. It means to turn around and to go the right way, to stop dreaming and to wake up to God's reality. They had been dreaming in all sorts of different thoughts and passions and pursuits, just like many in our own time have been lulled to sleep, dreaming and need to be awakened and to repent and turn back to the living God. They have loved, served, given their hope to other things, made the center of their life things other than God. And John the baptizer says, turn from that and walk again in the way of God. He creates such a scene doing it that all of the people from the surrounding area are flooding out to the river to be baptized by him. I mean, imagine that like the center of worship was what? The city, the temple. And everybody's leaving that joint and going out to the desert to a dirty river. And as they go into the river, somehow they're cleaned when they come out. Not only is he telling them to get their act together, to turn away from their false gods, to get their moral life and act together, but he comes with an announcement of something far greater to come. Did you see it? He says, after me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and to untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Talk about a line. I wish I could preach like that. Like, I, not me, but this guy's coming. He's like, he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. I, so this week, I, um, I took a few days and left the city. Um, spent time in a cabin just to sort of recoup and reflect, spend some time with the Lord, and also get a little bit of sort of thinking work done. Um, and this is a cabin that I've frequented many times, and it um, has been a, a place of spiritual rest for me. It's been a place where I can sort of leave the, the bustle of the city and be able to commune with the Lord. And the, the cool thing is this cabin keeps getting updated. There's always sort of new things, and it keeps getting better. And one of the things this time that I encountered was that the thermostat was updated. It has one of those new sort of like digital thermostats. I think that connects to a phone. And so when I texted, you know, to like, hey, I'm heading out there, um, what I was told is, oh, great, let me turn the thermostat up. Because what would you do if you're getting ready for someone to come to a place like that, or perhaps even if you keep your thermostat low until people come over, you would set it up and turn the heat, right? This is what John is doing. He's going, let me take the thermostat and turn that thing up. Do you see the heat in this? Like, I'm not worthy to even untie the shoes of the guy who's coming. Are you ready? Are you prepared? Are you? Are you prepared? He says, this man will plunge you into the Holy Spirit. I'll put you into the water. He'll plunge you into the Spirit. When are you ready for God to move? When are you ready for God to move? Are you ready for God to move when you've stopped preparing to perform, but you've prepared to receive 
When you stop preparing to perform, but you've prepared in order to receive. Do you see it here? There's no performance of the people flocking out into the wilderness. They're actually coming and saying, look at my bad record. Look at what I've done. I want to lay it down out here. I've got nothing to bring to the table. Of course they do, but they, they're coming and saying, listen, I need to be cleansed. I need to be, I need to be forgiven and to be made new. Their act of preparation is a move of honesty before the Lord. Their act of preparation is a move of humility before God to say, this is who I am. Let me, let me bring you into it. Their act of preparation is, is an action, right? They've done something, left the city, gone in pursuit of God, and not just once. Do you see this? In those days... Meaning, this had been going on for some time. Like, people had been going out there, maybe even staying out there, hearing John preach. They, they had been preparing for a season. And then onto the scene comes Jesus. The question that I believe God's asking you today, not me, but I believe the living God's asking you is, what will you do to prepare for me to come into your life in greater measure? What are you going to do to prepare? How could the thermostat of expectation be turned up for you so that you hunger, you anticipate God to move? Point number two, the coming of the person of God. You know, the interesting thing about Jesus is that we enter into his story at about age 30, which means that he had been preparing for quite some time. Right? Jesus was prepped for this moment. Right? He had spent close to a lifetime working as a carpenter in his, in his earthly father's trade. And it wasn't as if he sort of all of a sudden got this like amazing spiritual powers or something. No, he was a kid immersed in the scriptures and all noticed something unique about him. The other gospels tell us that Jesus was particularly gifted in his understanding of God's word and of knowledge of the Lord. Of course, because he was growing into the kind of man who would be the leader of Israel itself as the son of God. But Jesus, as a final move of preparation, comes to John, not for an act of cleansing. He has no need of cleansing. You realize it says nothing about that there? Conveniently, everybody else came to be cleaned and forgiven. But Jesus comes to, become, to be ready to be launched into a season of ministry and of influence that he had been preparing for all of his life and that the Father had actually, his heavenly Father prepared him for from all eternity. And so here he is, the Spirit immediately showing up on the scene, signifying that a whole new move of God was coming. The Spirit, of course, all throughout the Old Testament, signifying that a new thing, a new covenant, a new reality was here. It's all over these couple verses. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee, was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open. In this same cabin where I stayed this week, there are windows that face all wide view of the lake. And more than once, I've arrived late and left the curtains drawn, only to wake up in the morning and to see a glow about the room. 
And it's as if we have in John this glowing room, the morning light beginning to shine, but we can't see anything because the curtains are still drawn. And then when Jesus comes down to the water, it's as if the curtains open. And let me tell you, when the curtains open on a sunny morning at this place, the sun peeks over the horizon and it glitters across the water of the lake in a spectacular fashion that I've stood there many mourning in wonder. We have here is the curtains being unfolded. And the full scope of who God is on display shining. Do you see it? Do you see Jesus, but not just Jesus. You see the Trinity on display. It's not as if like the sky cracks or something. What Mark is trying to get at here is that the the veil of ultimate reality is being pulled back for all to see the goodness, greatness, glory, and beauty of God himself. And it's interesting that it's not just Jesus that you can see that. You see it in the way the Father loves upon the Son, the way the Spirit like a dove fluttering over the face of the waters, hovers his affirmation and delight in the scenario. What's pictured here is actually a reiteration of the first pages of the Bible. When the whole world is created and the Spirit of God is hovering, fluttering like a bird over the faces of the water, and Father is speaking into existence, light and darkness and land and sea and birds and creatures, and finally molding and shaping mankind and Jesus the Son the word of God coming in truth. Mark's grabbing all of these themes and saying, here is what God is like. This kind of beautiful, harmonious, sacrificial, loving, embracing, delighting, even as many have written, dancing being where the relational dance and love and service of one another is so breathtaking when you see it that you go, that's what I've been longing for relationally all my life. The very hopes of mankind are found here in the Trinity in the way that God is at the core. But here's our problem. Rather than the curtains being pulled back on the windows so that we can see the glory and beauty, most of us have walked our way through life believing the curtains will pull back for us to see the Wizard of Oz pulling the buttons. Full of our skepticism and questions about God, we're coming ready to be disappointed. But Mark is saying, when you pull back the curtain, you will be so satisfied and enamored with the being who is your maker if you would just see him. And who has come to make him known? None other than Jesus himself. So let me ask you, are you dreaming? Or is the curtain still closed for you with a glow in the room now, but you're not quite sure you see the glory? 
Would you take this journey with us in the Gospel of Mark to encounter Jesus as the true and living God, the one who helps us know the Father, the Son, and the Spirit and their relational beauty and glory? And would you awake to this sublime reality of the God who is Trinity? You know, Jesus had prepared for all of this in advance. But there was one more act of preparation Mark's gospel shows us that he underwent so that we would truly know the glory of God. He didn't have any need of cleansing, and he didn't have any need to sort of perform. In fact, it's amazing that God is, the Father is delighted in Jesus before he ever does anything. He hasn't even healed someone, taught someone, made a disciple of someone, gone anywhere. He's done nothing but he's receiving all of the love and affirmation of the Father. This shocking shocking scene is to wake us up. It is the call of God for us to prepare and to receive a kind of relationship with God that we were made for. And as we read through the rest of the gospel, I promise what you'll see is that Jesus would not only undergo the waters of baptism in order to fulfill all that was right, but he would undergo a far greater scene, a far heavier scene, in order to make all those right who would trust in him. Here we have Jesus, by the direction of the Father, going to the Jordan and submitting to delight. But here in the Gospel of Mark, we're going to see Jesus, by the end, going to the cross, submitting to the displeasure that comes with sin being placed upon him. All so that we would be caught up into the glorious nature of the Trinity, this being of ultimate love and delight and service, and so that we might then begin to pattern our lives after him, serving one another, loving one another. You know, there's a reason that a church full of dreamers like we are need to sing, my dreams don't love you, love me like you do. We who are doers, we who are achievers, we who are go-getters, which many of you are in this church, need to know that our dreams, our visions, our hopes don't satisfy us in the way that this unveiling curtain showing the triune God of all does. And so my hope as we encounter this book is that you would see that ultimate reality is not about you achieving your dreams, but it's about the relational beauty that you could be caught up to in this triune God. Ultimate reality is is about you losing your life, that you may find it. It's about passion, but not the kind of excitement that gets sort of put forward as passion in our time, but it's about the passion of being able to suffer for another and love for them that we see modeled by the God of the Bible. It's an invitation to dance, to hear the music of God himself in all of his beauty and glory. Let's journey together with Simon Peter and with Mark, his writer, encountering Jesus in a fresh way. What I want to do is I want to challenge you to prepare I want to challenge you this week, this month, to prepare for God to move in your life, for him to come in a greater measure. 
Perhaps that means that your daily habits or your devotion, your spiritual practices need to change. Perhaps that means you need to put aside a pattern of sin in your life and you need to begin walking in the ways of the Lord. Perhaps that means you need to stop walking alone, begin linking up with others in community, sharing what's going on, asking for prayer, caring for one another, and beginning to experience even a glimpse of that triune community in Christian community. Listen, God's asking us to prepare. I believe, church, that he's going to move. I believe the Lord is going to do significant things in our lives this year. Let's follow him into it. Father, would you put upon the minds and hearts of the people here and the people online what you're inviting them into, how we could get ready Get ready for you to come in greater measure. Get ready for you to teach us new things about your love, your wisdom, your goodness, your power. We want our hearts open. Not performing for your approval, but preparing to receive in greater measure your love. In Jesus' name, amen.